leadership has become incredibly complicated. Workplaces are being disrupted in ways we never could have imagined. So what's the biggest challenge to leadership? I'm Michelle Johnston, management professor, executive coach, and leadership expert. And I believe the biggest challenge for today's leader is connection. Why? Because research shows that connection drives results. That's why I've written the book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and why we are putting together this podcast series. Through interviews with some of today's top business leaders, we are going to explore how leaders' ability to connect with themselves, their teams, and their organizations defines their ultimate success or failure. Now, on to today's episode. I am thrilled to introduce you to seriously one of my favorite leaders, Juan Martin. He's the global president of Kind Snacks and most recently of Nature's Bakery. Juan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for the invite, Michelle. It's a true professional, but most importantly, personal pleasure to be here as well. Juan and I were able to meet through a mutual, he's my mentor and he was, I don't know if, if Marshall Goldsmith is, he's still coaching you. I know he was yeah, at some he point. Is. Yes, still uh, coaching me. So you have the number one executive coach in the world as your coach. How cool is that? Yeah, well, actually, I have so much to be fixed inside, so that's the very minimum, minimum I need. <laughs> top one not coach. True <laughs> not true at all. And uh, Marshall Goldsmith happens to be my mentor, and so that's how Juan and I met. Over, gosh, it might be coming up on two years. We were on a global call. And I had only heard about Juan, and I was in the middle of researching for my book, The Seismic Shift in Leadership. And I was interested in leadership stories of connection and disconnection. And so I had not met Juan before, and he's giving a little talk, kind of an an overview. We were in the middle of the pandemic of his leadership and some of the lessons learned. And to my listeners, I am serious when I say that his Kindness and compassion as a leader was palpable over Zoom. And so I reached out to Juan and asked if I could interview him for my book. And since we've become, we've become great friends. And I talk about him all the time. I'm on a bunch of podcasts, you know, because I'm in the middle of my promotional tour for my book. And Juan, I talk about your leadership all the time. So thank you again for being with us today. You are too kind to me, but I will take it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So one of the stories that I tell about you on the podcast that I'm on is about how you growing up in a very kind of macho machismo culture and you're kind of coming to terms with the type of leader you wanted to be versus the type of leader that you thought you had to be. Could you share with our listeners your story? Well, yeah, I think I think actually, you know, for for those of you who don't know me, I come originally from the south of Spain. Which is a yeah, macho culture is, is probably a good descriptor of how it was some decades ago. Uh, you know what's been amazing to me, and and this is what you learn over the years and with different experiences, is that what you thought you had to be in order to be a successful leader 30, 40 years ago, is not necessarily what it had to be in the days we are living today. And at the time it was a lot about, you know, you need to show up as having all the answers versus asking the right questions. So you had to show up as being the perfect bottom-up 
type of profile that has always the right thing to say. Or you had to do what you thought it was at that time, what senior leaders should portray as whatever behavior. And, and if anything, Michelle and you and I were talking length about it. You learn through life and experiences that actually you can be a much more compelling powerful and inspirational leader by identifying who you are as an individual and how you bring that together so that you can bring people along and then engage them in a very different conversation. Yes. And and so do you remember when you shared the story of you were, I mean, you were trucking along. I think you had reached the level with Mars of you were the head of the European and African division, if, if I remember correctly, the pet food and the candy. I mean, you were doing incredibly well. And there was a point where you had, for your first time, had the opportunity to get an executive coach out of London. I think you went to the Center of Creative Leadership and, and you really started reflecting on the type of person you wanted to be versus what you had been. And if I, if I remember correctly and share with our listeners, there was some point where you gave yourself permission to lead. And a lot of it was your beautiful mother, who is no longer with us, and, and, and the impact she had on you. And you gave yourself permission to kind of lean in to be able to show a little bit more compassion. Could you talk more about that? Yeah, so true. You have an incredible memory, Michelle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, it was a very painful process, as at least in my case, always happens. It's when you are confronted with personal difficulties. Obviously, that's an opportunity for dig a bit deeper about who you are and who you want to be in the future. I lost my mom and she was too, early, too, too young and too early in my life, unfortunately. But actually, that, that was a, a defining moment for me. And I remember having this, this journey with my coach at the time. And she was the one that helped me incredibly in, in reconciling what was the positives on going through such a negative experience? And then this this was step one of a succession of iterations and iterations. And, and I remember being able to grasp what I thought were my core values, what I wanted to leave behind me as a legacy. And that was a black and white and before and after in my life as a leader. And, you know, so far... I had a successful career, or at least what many people might have considered a successful career. But I, I, I felt there was a disconnection between how, how I was coming across as a leader versus how I was experiencing my personal life. And by bringing my core values together and going through that journey at that time allowed me to really reconcile those, those both sides of my life in a much more coherent way and hopefully making me the leader I am today and hopefully a better leader than what it was at the time. So beautiful. And if I also remember correctly, around, I, I guess, maybe a couple of years later is when Mars decided to acquire from Daniel Lubetsky the kind bars, correct? The company that he founded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. they went in search of a president who could demonstrate and represent Kindness. Could you talk to me about that search and how they chose you? <laughs> I, well, I, I don't know about the search. I'll, I'll tell you about a little bit what we were trying to do at that time. So, so yeah, Mar Mars and Daniel have known each other for a while. And uh, back in late 2017, the company and Daniel decided to just move forward into what at the time was called strategic partnership, which was uh, the opening at the beginning of a process to end up buying the business from Daniel. And at the time, the conversations that led to me taking this job were conversations that were, of course, important around how to drive the business case, how to drive the business to the future, etc. But it was equally important finding the right personality and the right type of leader that could take the baby and the business from the founder 
and really nourish it to the next level of development for the future. And for the last four years, and four and a, four and a half years actually, Daniel and I have built an incredible relationship, Michelle. And if he were here, he would tell you that he knows that I'm taking his baby. And I use the analogy of baby because, you know, this was a brand created in 2004. So when he decided to really hand off it to me, it was pretty much an early teenage type of kid. And he would tell you that I take his brand and his business as seriously, if not more seriously, than what he did as a founder. And this comes from a, a position of truly believing in what we're doing for the world. It goes well above any type of business case delivery. And again, you know me, I'm a very driven individual. So of course, I want to win in the marketplace. Of course, I want to accelerate growth and the value creation. But I don't think that actually you can make it sustainably if you don't really link it back to why are you here today and what is it that you're trying to build for the world. And that's what brings this job as what I would think is probably the best fit for me at that time. Just bringing the best of being a leader in the sense of delivering some numbers, but just doing it in a way that's hopefully inspiring people to be kinder to each other, to eat more healthily, and hopefully helping in making our in doing our part in making this world a bit better. Beautiful story. I mean, I would imagine that if you had been a jerk boss, which I've really gone on the record many, many times on podcasts and on LinkedIn saying, we as human beings coming out of this pandemic, this global pandemic, we don't have the resilience anymore for jerk bosses. You know, not okay to have abusive cultures and and those types of leaders. And so if you had been a jerk boss, Juan, there is no way that the Mars family would have chosen you to lead and take over kind bars, correct? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There's no way. No, I hope I hope so. No, you're absolutely no, no, <laughs> no, clearly not. And I think it's, it's as well worth it to say that, you know, the Mars business is a family-owned business by the Mars family. And if anything, we feel really proud of what we call the five principles, which are our moral compass to do business. Um, and I always say the same, you know, I've been 19 years in this wonderful organization. And, I, you know, when you are at this senior level, you need to do all things along your journey, right? You do restructurings and integrations and merges and acquisitions. And But I never really felt cornered in having to choose between my core values and the business needs. And I think that being able to really look in the mirror every morning and feel grateful, but as well happy with the coherence of how you're showing up to the world as a leader is something incredibly important to me. That doesn't say that everybody will agree with my decision. That doesn't mean that actually everybody will be thinking Juan is a soft leader or not. I don't think that's a softy whatsoever, but at least I want to I think that I do it with the values and the and the principles at the center of what I do. Absolutely. And for those of you who are familiar with the book that I published, and, and I'm so excited that it's an Amazon bestseller. I'm still such just, a great book. Such a I'm great just book. Pinching Michelle. myself, right? I can't believe it. And I think the reason why it 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 reached that trajectory of Amazon bestseller is because this message of connection is we're all trying to figure it out right now in a time where we still feel so disconnected. So in any case, for those of you familiar with my whole theory of connection, and I think that is the key to being a successful leader right now, but it's first and foremost, the connection with yourself. So when I look at you and your career with Mars, and now as the global president of KIND, which is still a part of Mars, but that was a real new venture for them, is you first had to find that connection with yourself, or I don't know if you would have been handpicked 
to be the global president of Kind Bars if you had not truly looked at what are my values? What type of leader do I want to be? Am I demonstrating that so that you could come across in that genuine, authentic way? So you reconciled that based on kind of that culture you had been raised in. And and, and then once you got to that place, I feel like it was like, law, because then you were the leader. You were truly authentic and leading in a way that felt good for you. And then the Mars family came and asked you to be the global president of kind. And, and so now you're connecting with the, you're representing the brand and then your ability to connect with your team. And I'll never forget being on an interview with you. And I, I, I asked you if I could share it with my students. And that's one of the assignments they have to watch this video. Cause on the interview with you, I said, look, one, I said, I'm a business professor. I'm assuming how you're evaluated. Your performance every year is on the number of bars you sell. And you said, Michelle, no. And I was like, what are you saying there's no way that can't be the case and you said no that is a metric but it's just one of many we want to spread kindness throughout the world and that was a, a just such a beautiful day and, and also for my students as well to know that they could actually join an organization that was trying to make the world a better place it's so true michelle but this is exactly what you're describing about the importance of connecting right and just finding the best of you in every day you in whatever you do every day right and I think, you know, you were talking about, you know, if I hadn't been clear in my core values and how displayed in this business, I wouldn't have been chosen. But I think it's, it's, it's another dimension as well, which is when you enjoy doing what you do and you really find meaning in doing it, the chances for you to be successful are much higher and the chances for you to be happy are much higher. And I think all this comes together in a way that actually allows everybody to unlock their true full potential for the future. Uh, so, so again, for the audience, if they're thinking that you need to have all the answers already, it's, it's, this is not an overwhelming situation. It's just the opposite. It's just embrace every opportunity to really ask yourself, who are you and why you're taking the decisions you're taking at that time in the way you're doing it? What's driving those? Uh, when you're feeling particularly happy one day, why are you feeling this happy versus those days where you feel a bit more doom and gloom? Uh, and this is a constant journey that actually will not only allow you to have other opportunities for the future, but I'm, I bet my money, you will have an incredibly enhanced opportunity for you to be successful and happy, which is what life is about. I mean, to the listeners, I hope you can see, I mean, how lovely to be led if you were in the organization of Kind Snacks, to be led by Juan, who you can tell is a servant leader. He cares about his people and wants to develop his people and wants them to find happiness and satisfaction. And so what we have all learned with the great resignation, the research still doesn't know one. I mean, what they're tell the surveys are telling us that employees are resigning because A, they want ownership of their calendar a little bit more. They want flexibility. And yet we know as leaders that also as humans, we crave and need human connection. So there's this huge conundrum right now that employees are saying, I wanna work from home and we know yet we really need that face-to-face -face work together. So how are you reconciling that right now as a leader? What are you doing? Cause I get asked that a lot. What are leaders doing now to meaningfully connect in this age of disconnection? Yeah, very difficult and very relevant question, Michelle. Uh, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I'll, I'll share with you some of the answers we are putting together. And I feel in the same conundrum. So I think that actually we need to be, as employers, we need to be understanding on different personal needs. And if anything, this pandemic has helped 
showing what technology can do to us, and as well as being showing some people that they can be much more effective in their usage of the time for their own lives, right? Particularly if you're living as I'm living in New York City, the average commuting time here is around three hours. So obviously, when you're putting that in a whole week, it's 15 hours of your life in a whole year, it's I don't know how many hours. Is I'm sure you can find all the, all the opportunities to use more effectively that time. But at the same time, it's taking the extreme of being in lockdowns as we all were at some point. It makes us really realize that we are social animals and we need that connection, right? So very, it's a very tricky balancing act. So I think, I think we are coming to the conclusion of point number one being as understanding to every single personal need as possible. Because if you're in a different life stage, if you're a young, coming from college versus being a mother or father of X, number of people, households living in the outskirts or living in the city, every situation is very different. We've been putting, obviously, we are incre- taking incredibly seriously the physical health of our people, our team members, that goes above anything else. We will never really put any person's life at risk unnecessarily. And then what we're doing is putting in place everything we can to incent people to go to the office, not because they have to, but because they go there in service of something. And what we've done is, uh, you know you know me, I'm not a big believer in parental style of leadership or babysitting people. So we like just to create a framework and just empower people to, sh- to choose what's going to be working for them. So what we told the office-based team members here in, in New York City was, we'd love to see you two, three days a week as a give of thumb, rule of thumb. And we will leave it as simply and as loose as that. So now it's up to you to choose with your teammates, with your line manager, what's going to be working better for you. Which days of the week you want to have some co-creation sessions that we know by experience co-creating is much more effective being in the room together. If you're thinking that you go to the office to sit for eight hours in different VCs and PCs, stay home. Don't even dare to think twice about it. So trying to make the trip to the office in service of a clear, tangible measure of success helps having clear frameworks help and then we're trying to to do social things as well michelle which again back to being social social animals we're having waffles tuesday where this incredible team member cooks waffle for everybody and then we're having a little bit of some drinks once a month to celebrate something we're having volunteering occasions to join uh, we that's what we do about doing the kind thing so again kind volunteering occasions here in the city but as well in other remote uh, offices normally regional offices we have across the country for them just to enjoy for us to enjoy being humans surrounded by humans and having a good time you know it's nothing wrong in working hard as long as you play hard as well otherwise life is too boring but for sure, I think you are putting on, on the table a very difficult, very difficult question for every business. And, you know, talking to some of the CEOs, you know, and other people, we keep talking and discussing about it the same thing. It's, it's, no, it's no playbook for that. It's going to be something that we have to really learn as we go all together. And just to finalize on this, uh, I keep telling my, my organization, we don't have all the answers on this. But my commitment to you is that we'll find the answers together with you. And we'll incorporate any feedback. We'll take any reflections from you. Again, it's not about pleasing everybody, but at least it's creating the space for where people can express their point of views and trying to incorporate them as much as we can. Oh, I completely concur. And what I'm hearing in my conversations with leaders is very similar to what you're saying is, here's the framework. Two to three days a week would be great. We would love to see you. And some organizations are saying, 
Tuesdays and Thursdays or Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and you can stay home Monday, Wednesday, or Monday and Friday. That works. And they're also realizing, like you said, I had a leader who, who said, well, I'm making them come in every Tuesday. So we call it Team Tuesday. I said, fantastic. What are you doing on Team Tuesday? She said, what do you mean? They're just working. I said, no, 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 no. If you're going to make a Team Tuesday and have everybody in, then we need a little collaboration, break bread together, at least have lunch together and have a team meeting, right? And what I'm learning, Juan, is, is we all, and I throw myself just in the bucket with you, that we all as leaders, we have got to be intentional and deliberate about about collaboration and connection and creating those opportunities. Because I think what we have seen is as miserable and lonely and whatever word you want to use for that time during lockdown and the pandemic and people felt so isolated, they also went into this survival mode so that even now that we're coming out of it, they still are choosing to spend a whole lot of their time at home without understanding the consequences. So I really think it's going to take us to say, yes, like you said, we want you in the office. We need you in order to get the business results that we want. We truly believe it's going to take face-to-face interaction to to develop that psychological safety, that trust, so we can make those really quality decisions to get that innovation that we want. And so in my head, I can see it kind of like a mathematical equation. You know, I can see all of these independent variables adding up to get that dependent variable that we want, but it's almost like this inertia has set in with some of the employees and it's hard to to get them to move. Um, Salesforce.com, you know, when I mentioned to you about the uh, championship basketball game in New Orleans, and I had been so lucky, fortunate to be invited by Salesforce.com to their suite. And I just had such incredible, rich, robust conversations with the executives there. I don't know if they're finished building the retreat center or if they're in the process of building a retreat center in California because they've recognized that most of their workforce is opting to stay at home and they recognize how important it is to get their people together. So they built this retreat center and they're making these mandatory offsites as a part of their operating rhythm. So we acknowledge that you would like to stay at home. That works best for you right now. Like you said, whatever stage of life that you're in. And we do need you to come either once a month, once a quarter for three or four days at this offsite so we can all be together. So, so great idea. You're spot on, Michelle. I think, I think back, back to, you know, reconciling who you are as a leader, as a professional, who want to be. Uh, I'm a big believer that in life, you cannot have it all. It's, it's, life is a matter of balancing. It's a balancing act constantly. Spend time, spend with your family, with your friends, at work, traveling you know, your work career versus the other dimensions of life. And, and it's, a, it's a matter of, you know, measure success measurement to me is ultimately you are in control of the life you want to have versus not. So I think what we are learning as well is some people are struggling in defining what they want from their working life to contribute to their own life. And, you know, if you don't want to be coming to the office, and if, which I completely respect, and if you don't want to play according to whatever rules, and you have to come to terms with the fact that maybe you cannot have the type of career you thought you would have three years ago. And that's fine. That's not an issue. An issue is expecting something that is impossible. So I like that dimension you were talking about, you know, a retreat that is forced sounds in the first instance, instance a bit kind of counterintuitive concept, but it makes all the sense. It's that, you know, this is 
a little bit of the rules of the of the game if you want to play in this case in Salzburg. This podcast directly parallels my new book titled The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Through a series of revealing interviews with 18 leaders from around the globe, I will show you how connecting with yourself, your teams, and your organizations can get you to the next level. The Seismic Shift in Leadership is available right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. For more information about the book, you can visit my website at www.michellekjohnston.com. One of the other questions that I get asked a lot too is, okay, so if we are on those days that we don't have to go to the office, we're still on a bunch of Zooms. (laughs) <laughs> so how do you meaningfully connect over Zoom? Can you give the listeners a couple of ideas or, or strategies that you use to connect at a more meaningful level? It's, a, it's a, another great question, Michelle. Thanks for putting on the table. So let me start by saying I'm a off-the-chart extroverted. I, I am a big hugger that unfortunately cannot hug as much as I would like to in this country. So let me by saying that. So nothing beats a physical connection in my mind. Uh, but I have to admit that actually for the last two and a half years, this need of connecting through the screen is open a new world of opportunities for me because I, I never thought I could be able to really connect in the same level of depth that I've learned over the last two and a half years. And you were describing how you and I met in this VC or Zoom with 100 people. And it was an immediate click in a way, right? And then it was this genuine willingness to help each other. And I, I never really jump straight into the content of the discussion on the matter. And this is not something that actually I have to say is not over, overly processed. In my head, it's more kind of a little bit of an afterthought. Just asking how you're feeling, how was the weekend, or how's been the day so far, or in which mood are you, or just sharing a little bit of anecdotal thing that happened to me or my kids. You know, my kids could come, not now, they are fortunately in the school, but they could come and interrupt anytime and just making it not only acceptable, but actually nice and fun to have access to that side of the life of the other individual through the screen is something that three years ago, I would have never dared to have. You know, you're going to a VC, you say everything is professional, you're locking the floor, the, 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 lo- the door, everybody knows they cannot get into. This life has changed so much. So I think just starting to just practice that muscle of check-in as you would do over a coffee, coffee machine, just to see how the other person is before jumping in the substance of the conversation. At least, again, small things make a difference, at least to me. I love how you said that. And I, I kind of am visualizing, if you, can, if you can visualize that your one-on-one meeting with your employee is having a cup of coffee and the first five minutes, 10 minutes, just over coffee, how are you doing? How's the family? And so it's almost become, we're forced into, like you said, a much more casual, informal way. I remember meeting your daughter when she jumped into your lap. You were on a late call when you were in Madrid. And it was just so adorable to see that side of you and for you to embrace it, like you said, and not say, no, I'm I'm not. You're like, hey, come say hi. You know, we we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and, and hopefully we don't want to. 
And I think leaders to be successful right now, they need to recognize that that this is kind of the new norm, right? And kids, even though they're in school, they might be still bopping into their screen or home from, for, they might be sick and that's okay. We can't pretend to be perfect all the time, like you said, and have this curated life, you know, it, it's now just called life. And I'm also struggling. A lot of my clients are saying now they're struggling with work-life balance and I'm trying to coach them and saying, but I don't know. I think it's just life. And it's how you're owning your life and accepting all pieces of your life. But this demarcation between this is my professional one side and then this is my personal so side, right? Doesn't it, work. In, absolutely. And actually, you know, if I, if I may, two things uh, there, yeah. Michelle. The first one is it's not only okay having your kid or whatever showing up. I think it's a gift for the receiving end because, again, you are opening your heart and your family and whatever context to others that they, it, that was inimaginable three, four, 10 years ago when I grew up 25, 30, 40 years ago in my hometown in the South, you know, forget it, forget it. So I think that's a gift that you can embrace it or you can fight against. So no point in fighting. Why? Why would you? You know, you were talking about the coffee thing uh, and that's, um, I, I remember a, a nice story. So this is, I had a general manager, managing director reporting to me. He was French. This is back 2013 nine years ago. And we were together in the office. We we're going exactly, as you said, going to the coffee machine, just having a quick espresso. Again, you know, we appreciate the value of a good coffee, not saying that black coffee in America is, is good. Uh, and basically, we're having this great conversation. And he was saying to me, ah, geez, you know, I miss this connection so much. And one of the things we did was we created whatever, once every two, three, four weeks, whatever it was, always on a Friday, always in the morning, half hour invite and that having white title was uh, coffee chat and that was a coffee chat and the deal was you know before having at that time it was a phone call not even a video conference before going to the call the commitment from each of us is grabbing an espresso at home or at the office whatever we were and then calling each other and just having a chat and it was unbelievable what it represented in terms of breakthrough in the mind state of how to use at that time a much more limited technology to try to recreate the same type of feeling that we had when we were face-to-face over a coffee. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I think we should start talking about, particularly one-on-ones, um, more so than team meetings, but say, yeah, let's have a cup of coffee together. Yeah. Let's check in. And it's the way we frame it. Do you have, I'm so jealous. All I have is water. Cheers to I, that. Cheers, but I'm highly caffeinated, but I wish we would have thought about that before the podcast. <laughs> that would have been we great. Have to, we have we to get ready it. for the next one. Yes, exactly. But you should call it like the coffee talker because it does then frame it in a way that's much more casual and at a personal level. And that's what we're finding is in order to have to get the best results from your people, they need to know that you really care about them. One of, one of the podcasts I was on, Sharon Melnick, she's a 100 Coaches person, Dr. Melnick. And she asked me a great question on one of these podcasts when I was promoting my book. She said, what is your definition of, of connection? I said, huh, my definition of connection. I said, it's when you feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. Wow. So connection is so much more than communication. 
communication is the transaction. And that's why this seismic shift, as I call it, as how you and I were in the same, you're younger than me, but we're in the same age group. And you and I were raised, even though you were in Spain and I was here in the United States, we were raised in this command and control style of leadership, right? And it was so transactional and directive. And it was just do what I said. You had to have all the right answers, everything that that you had to have all the answers, everything that you described. And now communication is just choosing, is it the phone? Is it a Zoom? How are we going to connect? But connection is the feeling, the feeling of being seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. So on top of employees during the great resignation telling us that they wanted flexibility, they also told us that they were willing to leave a job if they didn't feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And so I think that's what we're all trying to get at. That's the question. Okay, so now we know all of that. How do we make sure that that our employees are feeling that? And guess what? It takes extra effort. This is not easy right now. So good, Michelle. So spot on. I love your definition, by the way. It's a very powerful one. And I always say that, you know, you were talking about feel valued. Feel valued is incredibly important to me. Now, you know, I'm not driven by titles or paychecks or status. And, you know, one of the first things we did in the office as well, just to promote coming people coming back to the office, is we removed all private offices to ensure that actually whenever you were in the office, you could just mingle and be with other people. And not having a door you had to cross in order to connect with somebody. somebody. So we don't have any private office in the office at this point of time. I will not have it. Not um, even your office. No, I don't have an office. I see there's anybody else. You know, a table that is actually there are floating tables. So you see whatever is flexible and just available. So simple as that. You go with your computer, and that's what you do. Uh, and that level of connectivity and just making people feel that they are doing something that is much bigger than selling more, or making more money, leaving something behind you can feel proud of. I always make the analogy of what's going to be what people will think of you. When you pass away, when you do something else, is nobody will remember the amount of millions of sales or billions of sales or bars or whatever you did, right? Is what you left all the people with is what they will remember of you. And I keep that very close to my heart. And again, that's nothing to do with not being driven. You can be incredibly driven, but as well being conscious that it's much more important what you're doing than just running a business. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. I remember one of your goals a number of years ago when we spoke was, I think it was 225 million, 250 million acts of kindness. What is your goal this year for acts of kindness? It keeps keeps moving, actually, Michelle. It keeps moving because we are, you know, we are sitting in more places in the world. Um, Honestly, you're catching me off guard. So I think I would say probably the number will be similar. So we'll be around a quarter of a billion interactions and kind acts. But I think what's what's more important than anything is, you know, you see what's going on with this tragedy in Ukraine, as an example. And you know that I'm a person that being raised in Europe, we had World War II really close to home. And obviously these horrible things that happened there. This world needs kindness more than ever. And unfortunately, I, I will have said the same three or four years ago, but which means that actually things are not getting better, are getting worse. And we have a fundamental responsibility to inspire acts of kindness. And we know that we've learned, and this is scientifically proven, so there is a significant contagious effect when you see somebody doing a kind act. You want to do it. You want to follow. We have this ratio of three to one. And then the whole thing is this becomes exponential, right? If you inspire somebody that inspires somebody that inspires somebody, you're touching 27 people instead of just one or two. 
And it's small things, you know, we don't want to be preachy. We don't want to really come across as being better or worse than anybody. We simply want to remind ourselves that actually by doing small things, you can make a difference. Um, and hopefully we can continue measuring that and just ensuring that we keep inspiring people to really bring a little bit of happiness and kindness to the world on a daily basis. If we do that, we're doing a good job. That's so fantastic. So it still is the number of bars that you sell is still only one metric in your only one annual metric. performance. Absolutely. No, no, we have, uh, you know, societal impact, right? We're talking about sustainability. It's, it's, you know, it's the name of the game. It's not even a competitive advantage these days. Fortunately, it's a little bit of table stakes for every single company who wants to be sustainable and relevant in years to come. No, business business performance is much more than selling and making money out of that. Obviously, those are important metrics, but people will never stay in companies only measured by that. People will have higher expectations from businesses than that. Oh, you're absolutely, and you are just the right leader right now, for sure, Juan. You're just incredible. Thank you so much, and thank you to my listeners. I hope you can tell why I think that Juan Martin is one of the best leaders that I've met out there. And I know that your employees really enjoy working for you. We're going to, we're going to tie this together with, with one last question, Juan. So we'll bring it all together. So the connection with yourself is, has been so important for you in your successful trajectory and your ability to connect with your team. And at that highest level, that connection with the organization, you represent clearly kindness and the kind bar. And could you share, you had spoken about your values and then the principles of kind, and that somehow you're able to mesh them, that even with acquisitions and layoffs and and the challenges of running a business, because you know what your core values are and the principles you're able to, could you talk about that? And that'll be the last question. Absolutely. And and thank you for the invite, Michelle. It's uh, it's a super pleasure. So yeah, I can can be really open here. I I don't think I'm disclosing anything that uh, I would be happy with. So I have three core values. And again, this was an experience that took me a while to really craft it. And I'm sure that when you're asking every individual, do you know who you you are, what you stand for? Everybody will say, yeah, yeah. But then when you're asking yourself, you know, out of this list of a hundred attributes, whatever, which are the one or two or three that actually are truly defining who you are as a leader? That's a bloody, oh, I found it a bloody difficult exercise. It was really difficult. But it came, and this was done probably in that time. So this is nine years ago. Last week was actually ninth year anniversary of my mom passing away. So, And the first value is trust. The second value is what I call family. And I will, I will spend 30 seconds in translating that. And the third value is curiosity. So let me start with curiosity. I'm incredibly curious. I love history, geopolitics. I, I love reading. I love getting to know people. And the more you know, the more you realize about the amount of things you don't know and keeps you really humble as well, keeps you really grounded. And I think it's really important for what on paper are successful leaders to be reminded that actually, yeah, they are successful and there is still much more to be to be done and to be learned in the future. So, so that goes without saying for me as a leader, it's incredibly important. I travel, I meet people, I meet different cultures and the more cultures you know, you know what? The more open-minded you are. And I think this is one of the recipes for success that unfortunately at times we're missing our world. Second value I, I call it was family, but uh, it's, it's a kind of broad definition. Of course, I love my core, my core family, but I genuinely believe in the power of individuals helping individuals, humans helping humans. Uh, so I don't have huge expectations on big institutions or establishments or companies or government. 
I believe in the power of some a human helping another human in the moment. Uh, so, so when I think about families, you know, I would love my employees, my third party partners, my suppliers, my customers, my consumers, my friends, everybody to have slightly better life, it's better kind of life, it's better, better, slightly better experience with life with me than without me. That's the max I aspire to have. And then trust comes with transparency and being open about what you do and why you do it. So I can have a tough decision of laying some people off and I will do my very best in not only being honest to them, but trying to explain to everybody why we did what we did or why I decided what I decided. So when you think about trust, family and curiosity in myself, this is what I tend to do in everything I do on business. And as you said, I don't believe in the power of the professional Juan versus the personal Juan. It doesn't exist like that. Life is all mashed up and it's about who you are as an individual. And whether I'm honest and transparent to my wife or my friends or my kids or my employees or whatever, this is the person you are, right? It cannot be, I don't believe in this honesty here, but I'm not an honest there. It makes it very weird. So I guess it's a long answer to your question, Michelle. But in my mind, it's incredibly congruent, easy to sync up type of exercise. And my invite to all your audience would be try to make that gain yourself. You will be incredibly impacted by how powerful you can be when bringing those things together. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes, to the listeners, we have homework. And I do want you all to really think about what are your your top three values and that will help you live the life um, that you feel proud of every single day and to be the leader that you feel proud of. Thank you so much, Juan. I don't want this to end because you're just fantastic, but I know how busy you are and we're one of your many obligations today. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for us. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.